Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Coming up later this hour, we'll talk with Angel Murchison. She's the author of Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. She tells her story and comes alongside others who have similar stories with help. So she's going to join us later this hour. Also, the president's State of the Union address is scheduled for this evening. We'll talk about that in the second hour of the program and a look at what the Christian church is doing in Turkey and Syria following the earthquake, uh, providing relief there and the uh, a miracle in the midst of that tragedy. All of that and more on the Georgine Rice Show today. First, to look at some of the day's news, a Federal Aviation Administration Uh, The FAA, the agency that monitors all air traffic in the United States, didn't have an answer on Monday to the question of whether Chinese spy balloons traversed American airspace during the Trump administration, as has been alleged by the president. The aviation agency said its cooperation with the Defense Department in restricting airspace where the balloon was shot down, however, didn't create any problem for civilian flights. Well, the military shot down a Chinese spy balloon on Saturday off the coast of South Carolina after it had flown over much of the continental United States, accomplishing apparently its mission. The balloon was first seen in Montana in response to numerous Republican lawmakers who criticized the administration's allowing the balloon, the balloon to stay aloft for days despite uh, concerns over Chinese espionage. Department of Defense officials said that three similar spy balloons had entered U.S. airspace during the Trump administration. Former President Donald Trump, as well as senior Trump administration officials, denied any knowledge of such balloons, which raised other questions. When asked the FDA uh, whether it tracks these types of balloons, how uh, many such balloons it tracked in January of 2017 through January of 21, and whether the agency notified air traffic controllers about the balloons, a spokesperson said the agency uh, had uh, restricted space in the area off South Carolina where Reuters reported, excuse me, an Air Force fighter jet shot down the balloon. And with um, a heat-seeking air-to-air missile, the FAA has restricted a small piece of airspace at the request of the Department of Defense since Saturday afternoon. Uh, There has been an operational impact for civilian operations. Uh, Please contact the Department of Defense for additional questions. In other words, no answer to the central question. Well, the Department of Defense referred to comments on Thursday by the Pentagon's press secretary, Air Force Brigadier General Pat Ryder, to note that it tracks suspected spy balloons in U.S. airspace. The United States government has detected and is tracking a high-altitude surveillance balloon that is over the continental United States right now. The U.S. government, to include NORAD, continues to track and monitor it closely. On Monday, unnamed Biden administration officials told CNN that Trump administration officials wouldn't know about China's spy balloons that flew over America during their time because uh, those... um, Incidents weren't discovered until sometime after Joe Biden took office. So it's a bit unclear how we didn't know until long after the balloons had uh, left U.S. airspace. But nonetheless, the unnamed official said intelligence community is willing to brief the former Trump administration officials. Again, this raises serious questions as to why the uh, information was not passed along to the Um, appropriate sources, including the administration. A Defense Department official told reporters during a background briefing on Saturday that China sent three previous spy balloons to fly over the United States during the Trump administration and one more spy balloon earlier during the Biden administration. 
He used the initials for the communist regime's official name, the People's Republic of China. PRC government surveillance balloons transited the continental United States briefly at least three times. Well, Beijing uh, respected us greatly, the former president said. It never happened with us under the Trump administration. And if it did, we would have shot it down immediately. It's disinformation. So there seems to be differing opinions and questions as to why not or whether the administration uh, should have been um, notified at the time these apparently took place. In fact, after the Biden administration said they would like to brief former Trump officials of the three alleged prior Chinese spycraft flyovers of North America, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo confirmed he had never heard of such operations while he was in office and demanded answers. On um, the story with Martha McCallum uh, reported uh, the Biden officials have disclosed three prior flyovers. Pompeo, who served both at Foggy Bottom and as CIA director and secretary of state, said many people had uh, confounded or were confounded by the report, given that uh, neglecting to inform top political officials up to and including Donald Trump at the time seems unthinkable. I can speak for myself. I certainly never became aware that there was a three bus uh, sized floating device coming across our country for five days, either as CIA director or secretary of state. And I've uh, talked to others who are on my team They don't know anything about it either. He said two fellow former Trump administration officials, ex-National Security Advisor John Bolton and Robert O'Brien, both deny ever learning of such operations while in office, adding the Biden team uh, may be trying to deflect from their own purported failures on the issue. It seems unimaginable that somehow this would have uh, gotten to the political leadership in the White House or State Department or at the CIA. I can't figure out how that happened uh, he went on. He added that he was not um, he had not received any invitation to be briefed on the matter as the uh, former Trump official, despite the administration's purported offer to do just that in public uh, statements. I'd really like to know if somehow we got it wrong, if somehow the military didn't share with us what they needed to. The American people are owed an explanation. Well, this accusation is deeply dangerous that somehow the military hid from its political command and its political authority information that is vital to American security. McCallum later noted that while former Trump Defense Secretary Mark Esper also said he was never aware of the three reported flyovers, two relevant officials who have not spoken out are Joint Chiefs Chairman General Mark Milley and General James Mad Dog Mattis, retired, one of Trump's Pentagon Chiefs. Pompeo said neither Milley, who he noted is still in his top military advisor role, nor former Secretary Mattis have spoken out as to whether they knew of the Trump era Chinese spycraft flyovers. I would be shocked if General Mattis knew about it and hadn't shared that with either the CIA director or the Secretary of State, he said. Well, this does, again, raise some very troubling questions as to why leadership was not informed if, in fact, these events took place. So now that has broadened uh, the, the the questions and the realm of the questions about Chinese spycraft over the United States, where they apparently were over U.S. airspace undetected for a period of time. And many suggest this was a probe to determine uh, what the United States would uh, be aware of and whether or not they would take action of any kind should these um, probes, if you will, be discovered. The story continues to develop and we'll Keep you up to date. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. Coming up later this hour, in fact, in our next segment, a conversation with Angel Murchison, author of Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. Well, the head of the U.S. military command responsible for countering airborne threats in North America said on Monday that it had not detected uh, Chinese spy balloons that reportedly flew over the United States prior to last week's incident. Instead, those previous incursions had been discovered after the fact by the intelligence community using um, uh, technology that allowed them to collect that information. So says Air Force General Glenn Van Herc. Commander of the North American Aerospace Defense Command and U.S. Northern Command, he did not elaborate. Well, according to an official transcript of an off-camera briefing at Pentagon Reporters, Van Herc attributed the fact that NORAD had not detected these earlier balloons to a domain awareness gap. A senior defense official asserted at the weekend that before last week's incursion, Chinese surveillance balloons had flowed briefly over the continental U.S. at least three times during the previous administration and at least once at the beginning of the Biden administration. Well, asked during the briefing if his Colorado-based command had been involved in tracking those earlier balloon flights, Van Herc replied that as NORAD commander, it was his daily responsibility to detect threats to North America. I will tell you that we did not detect those threats, and that's a domain main awareness gap that we have to figure out. Well, President Trump has disputed the claim that Chinese spy balloons flew over the U.S. during his presidency. Senior members of his administration, including two former national security advisors, former national director of intelligence, um, John Radcliffe, had denied knowledge of any such incidents, with Radcliffe declaring unequivocally that it didn't happen. Reconciling those two accounts will be... um, what happens over the next few weeks and months, I would assume. Well, the U.S. trade deficit with the People's Republic of China rose for the second straight year in 2022, hitting $382,917,000,000. That's according to data released today by the Census Bureau. Well, during the year, the United States imported uh, $574,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000,000
wrote to Alphabet, the parent company of Google and Apple, demanding that they yank TikTok from their app stores. Bennett's idea has bipartisan support. I welcome it, said Senator Josh Hawley, Republican out of Missouri. We ought to just um, uh, go through the whole nine yards and just uh, ban uh, TikTok in the United States, he suggests. But that's a challenge. TikTok may be the prospective threat today, but lawmakers want a universal plan to combat future TikToks. It's a big, big hill to climb, said the Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Mark Warner, a Democrat out of Virginia. This is not going to be the last time that we have a foreign technology national security issue. Here's the hurdle to passing the law. In the 1970s, Congress approved a law to prohibit citizens from assisting hostile foreign governments from interfering with U.S. commerce. But... Former Representative Howard Berman, a Democrat out of California, saw a problem. He drafted a carve-out for free speech platforms overseas. In other words, it wouldn't help the American cause abroad if the U.S. came down on dissidents who were trying to publish materials or make films which spoke out against oppressive regimes. So in 1988, Congress adopted the Berman Amendment to serve as a shield for overseas free speech platforms in nations which are American adversaries. Well, that makes it hard to ban TikTok unless Congress alters the law. Well, TikTok is now boosting domestic lobbying efforts to preserve a digital foothold in the U.S. as the app faces more scrutiny about its ties with Beijing. TikTok is even offering American regulators the chance to inspect its algorithms in exchange for a continued presence in the United States. But TikTok has suggested that a prohibition of the app won't enhance American security. Lawmakers have questions about how the app impacts kids, and TikTok CEO is set to testify before the House panel in March. While TikTok may be the threat on the uh, uh, on the phone, what how um, how about China now renting space in the heads of many Americans is being asked. This was a visible, tangible Sputnik moment, much like we had in 1957 when the Soviets put up a first satellite. That's what Representative Michael Waltz, a Republican from Florida, said. Sputnik, for those of you who weren't around, was a seminal moment in the Cold War and the space race between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. The satellite was visible in low orbit above the Earth to many Americans on the ground, and it freaked people out. Lawmakers even converted um, Sputnik into a political tool, making the case that the U.S. was failing and falling behind and that the Soviet Union was making a mockery of the United States. Well, sound familiar? President Dwight Eisenhower said the appearance of Sputnik whizzing overhead did not raise my apprehensions, not one iota, but actions speak louder than words. Sputnik prompted Congress to create NASA in 1958. Eisenhower authorized the creation of the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, at the Pentagon. Washington soon moved to close the missile gap between the U.S. and the USSR. The U.S. thrust itself into space development for fear the Soviets were eating Americans' lunch or maybe drinking their tang. Well, if the Soviets control space, they control the Earth. That's what President John F. Kennedy said back in 1961. But things grew more tense between the superpowers. The Soviets shot down an aerial reconnaissance U-2 spy plane in 1960 piloted by Francis Gary Powers. They captured the powers. They combed through the wreckage and understood U.S. technology. The Soviet sentenced powers to prison. He served nearly two years before earning his freedom in a Washington-Moscow prison swap. In fact, Eisenhower never revealed the espionage mission behind the U-2 plane. House uh, Appropriations Committee Chairman Clarence Cannon, a Democrat from Missouri, took care of that, jolting the uh, 
Eisenhower administration to become more forthcoming. Sound familiar? Well, there are lots of questions now about the recent air um, incursion by the Chinese communist government. Why wasn't it shot down when it floated over the Aleutian Islands? Why didn't the Canadians bring it down? How about when it drifted over Montana through Kansas and Missouri? Uh, Why bring it down in water off the coast? Wouldn't the salt water damage the equipment? Did the U.S. jam the balloon and prevent it from sending info back to Beijing? My guess is it was far too late for that, having traversed the entire continent. Well, episodes like this are fraught with consequential international peril. One wrong move during an international crisis can alter the arc of history. In 99, NATO mistakenly bombed the Chinese embassy in Belgrade during an effort to force Yugoslavian forces to withdraw from Kosovo. Beijing contended the bombing was on purpose. In 2000, a U.S. reconnaissance plane collided with Chinese craft. The U.S. aircraft made an emergency landing in Hainan Island in South China Sea. The Chinese held the U.S. service personnel, sparking a diplomatic dispute between the two nations. But the sides ultimately resolved the volatile crisis without it coming to blows. Well, each of these incidents shows how it doesn't take much for a spark to ignite an international conflagration. The U.S. is worried about China gobbling up farmland in the Dakotas and building domestic police stations in New York City to keep tabs on nationals in the U.S. Senate. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer uh, criticized relations between Washington and Beijing as tense. Well, innocent mistakes can lead nations into a morass like the Bay of Pigs or the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 60s. This is why there's uh, consternation about when and where the U.S. shot down the Chinese spy craft or didn't shoot it down. Little things start big problems. Well, the public is likely paying more attention now to China after the balloon, even though China may do more damage on a day-to-day basis as people scroll through their phones. But like Sputnik in the late 1950s, Americans are now paying more attention to China, be it the threat from above or in the palm of your hand. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, Angel Murchison will join me. She's the author of Secret Shame. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest, Angel Murchison, is the author of Secret Shame. She describes how easy it was to gain access to have an abortion as a 15-year-old and describes her post-abortion syndrome, or PTSD, a form of it, that impacts between 40 to 60% of women who choose abortion. Well, the symptoms include emotional numbness, depression, guilt, regret, anxiety, and much more. The subtitle of her book, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion, is something they don't tell you at Planned Parenthood, she says. Well, we're going to talk about her, her book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. Angel is the founder of Healing Waters Women's Ministry, the author of Good Morning, Beautiful People, Angel Prayer of the Day, Angel's Prayer of the Day, and a radio talk show host on Destiny Moments. She speaks out about the impact of post-abortion stress and offers help and hope to women who have had an abortion like she did. She lives in Maine and has three adult daughters. She joins us today to talk about her book. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on your show. It's so important, I think, for those who are called to share their stories to do so for the sake of those who have never shared their story. And I I imagine there are many listening today who have had an abortion and perhaps have never told anyone or bear the guilt of a decision made years ago, believing that that weight will always have to be carried. Your, uh, Your first words to those who are carrying that weight? 
that Jesus um, has come to set you free and that by his grace and his mercy that he paid the price um, for that pain and that brokenness and he can make you whole again. You know, I wrote the book, um, Georgine, from a heart of love, the Mm -hmm. father's love, and he wants, he wants uh, his women to be made whole. And I know women suffer in silence um, that have had an abortion. I minister to many women across this globe that have um, have chosen abortion or had a forced abortion, or maybe the appointment was made for them. And um, God has taken the sting out. And although there is consequences and and you won't see the child until you're in heaven um but god does he does bring healing to that hurting soul and he will and he can deliver you from the emotional pain of an abortion amen now you open up the book secret shame uh writing about your childhood tell us a bit about how what your childhood was like and how that impacted choices you would make in your future Well, I was the 14th birth to my parents, and I would be like probably the least one that would be likely to succeed. Um, My dad struggled with alcoholism, and my mom died when I was eight years of age. And so I was left with lots of holes in my heart. But, you know, the Bible tells us that uh, he has a plan for every life, and he had a plan for my life before the foundations of the earth, as word told me. And, you know, I grew up in poverty, and I know um, what it's like to go without lots of things. Um, but God, um, somehow, I just knew that there was, there, was, there was something different, that there was something that God was going to do with me, even in my teenage years, even when I was living a destructive lifestyle, and I started drinking alcohol at an early age, looking for love, and I just, um, I know that the enemy also has a plan for every life, but God's, God's plan overcame, and I'm so thankful today for His mercy and His grace, and that's what I speak about um, to women that, that are suffering in silence. Um, when you received the Father's love, that was the very first writing um, that I had ever penned. I was sitting at my desk at a lunch hour, and um, I didn't really know the love of my father. My my dad was almost 50 when I was born, and to me, that was quite old. <laughs> but today, <laughs> it's like, that's not old at all, but... Um, <laughs> But, oh, Father, your love for me is so hard to comprehend. You died for me when I was yet a sinner. Love, you had no boundaries. You took my sin and you made me whole again. Such love, the love of my Father. When I chose the path of the evil one, you loved me and you led me to your path again. Such love, the love of my Father. When I cried because of all the pain, you healed the pain and removed my shame. Oh, such love. Where others wounded me, you bound up my wounds and filled me with joy. Such love, the love of my Father. When I needed guidance, you left me your word in your Holy Spirit. Such love, the love of my Father. Whatever the future holds for me is in your hands, for your love for me has made me whole. 
My Father, you say in your word that the footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, and this is my future because of the love of my Father. And, you know, that was profound, Georgine, mm-hmm. when I wrote that that day, because I began to experience him as a good father. Amen. Well, let me ask you, you're 15 years old. Um, you have an unintended pregnancy. What went through your mind? Were you motivated by fear? Were you pressured? How did your abortion come about? Well, I can honestly say that I didn't even know the word abortion at that time. Mm-hmm. Um I had told a family member, and and an appointment was made for me in a different town, and um, I was told it wasn't really a baby, that it was just a blob of tissue, and I remember going to the appointment. I don't remember them ever explaining anything different, Um, and just had a procedure, and they said it was a quick procedure. It was quick, but it changed my life forever. And I buried that for many, many years. And it was at a, it was on a Friday evening at a church service I was at. And I, this couple from Canada were here and they were singing about a little soul in heaven. And all of a sudden I began to feel this overwhelming pain um, just come right up out of my inner being right from my soul. And I had a very hard time to keep it together until I got home that night. I mean, tears just kept coming down my face. And, um, but as I, I got home and I got on my knees beside my bed, it was the first time that I'd ever actually began to deal with that, the whole issue. It was just buried um, deep within. But God says, whatever's done in the dark is brought to the light. And I'm so thankful that he brought it to the light because then I could deal with that. And I remember um, going to um, a, a local Christian bookstore and I purchased a book about the aftermath of abortion. And I prayed every prayer. I, I just, I just wanted to be free. But God had told me, he said, I want you to call this individual and tell them that you've had an abortion. And I did that. I I didn't want to at first, but I know about being obedient. So I called this other woman and I said, "Um, you know, I I need to tell you something. I feel like God has led me to to share this with you. And she shared that she had had an abortion too. And I've heard, and one out of three, one out of four women today have had an abortion. And um, so we have a lot of, women that need healing and I have come to know Christ the healer and he tells us in his word in John eight thirty six, whom the sun sets free is free indeed Amen. and we, that he has been true to do when you connected with someone who had had the same experience that God had specifically directed you to did you begin your healing journey there or was there just the first step in admitting to someone what had happened what was the next step? We'll we'll get into that when we come back from our break, but I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking this afternoon with my guest. Her name is Angel Murchison and her book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Angel Murchison, author of Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. Just before the break, you uh, told us about the service you had attended that really opened your eyes to what had happened. You were directed to speak with someone you didn't know had had a similar experience, had had an abortion when the two of you connected, what happened next? And was it just a first step? Did the two of you go on this journey together? What happened? Well, it was someone that I, I did know, um, but I didn't know anything about her past. But I, I did uh, speak to her about it. And unfortunately, we didn't um, heal together. But I did go to the local pregnancy care center and I did a Bible study there with another individual and she had had several abortions and we did a a study together and I went deeper into my healing. And then, you know, it, it, um, the very first step when I shared that with her originally, to be honest with you, I felt like I lost, 50 pounds. I felt like Mm. my life had just changed. It was, you know, admitting that I had an abortion that I, that I hurt from it. And um, in the book of secret shame that I penned, there's a a three day Bible study in attached on the back. And it's very um, light, but it's very profound. And, I went through the process. I named my child. Um, I knew, I sensed that the Lord had told me that it was a boy. And so I named him Jeremiah. Jeremiah is my favorite book in the Bible. And we have a day of remembrance of my child. And um, he gave me, uh, I asked the Lord to lead me to something um, some people plant a tree, but I knew I wasn't going to be living in that home that I was in. And um, so I wanted something that I could take with me. And I'll never forget the day that he led me to this little precious moment, um, boy, standing behind a microphone. And, you know, Georgine, when you see something or God shows you something or something is highlighted to you, you just, you know, your heart skips a beat or something, you know, you just know. And so everywhere I go, I have this little, um, little boy, it's a precious moment boy that stands behind a microphone. And so although um, he doesn't have a voice, I'm his voice today. And um, I like to tell people um, about my story so that, you know, they could get all the facts and know that there's there's pain, there's brokenness that comes to your life after you have an abortion. Um, I didn't think I would share my story with the world, mm-hmm. but um, as God brought healing to me, I wanted other people to be free too. And I would be sitting on an airplane, I was coming back from a writer's conference, um, and you know, the lady beside me just got to chatting with me and you know she'd say I don't know why I would ever tell you this but I had an abortion um, at the writers conference itself um, a, a young lady had said to one of the other ladies at the conference um, tell that woman to write a book no mommy don't do it um, 
And so I asked if I could speak with her, and I did. And she had had, I believe, three abortions, and her friend had had 12. And so I began to see that God wanted to use this in my life. And um, people feel comfortable to share that secret. In order to minister to others. Let me ask you, before you had that uh, that epiphany, the moment in which you were broken, considering that you had had an abortion that led to the first step of disclosing that to someone. Were there um, post-traumatic stress um, symptoms that you experienced that you didn't necessarily connect to the abortion, but you knew that there was something that made life difficult? You yes. mentioned uh, a moment ago that you had struggled with alcohol. What? How did this, uh, this regret um, manifest itself in your life? Well, I did. Um, I started drinking alcohol prior to the abortion, to be honest with you, um, back in junior high school. And um, but after um, the abortion, it just seemed like it was more pain that was just buried deep. And, um, you know, we used to party a lot on the weekends. And, um, you know, I I would feel very sad, like on Mother's Day. Um, I thought it was because of the loss of my own mom. But then I would feel that sadness again, you know, a certain time of year. And it would, I can remember like when it would rain really hard, I'd feel very sad. And I was like, where is this coming from? And, um, but the day that I went for the abortion, I remember that it was raining. It was a, it was a rainy day. And, you know, I, um, I was just a kid, 15 yeah. years old, um, and today um, I know that as I've ministered to other women that have had abortions, um, most of it comes from fear. They don't know how they would ever um, provide for the child. Maybe the father is no longer in the picture, um, but, you know, I can say that God has a plan for every single life. When I look back at my own life, you know, being the 14th birth to a uh, a family, uh, that would, it would be a tough life, but yet God had a plan. And I have two sisters, one that was born with a rare bone disease and one that was born, um, she was um, intellectually delayed. She was, um, she couldn't speak. And... We used, her name was Ethel, and she's gone on to heaven now, but we used to call her Hooky, and um, she used to give us a little talk with her fist now and then because she'd be angry or whatever, and, and I remember talking with God one day about that. Um, you know, I said, God, life was really tough with her, and um, yet we loved her and we wanted the best for her. And one Christmas I had gotten a radio. It was a a little white round radio from Radio Shack. And she wanted that. And it's the only gift I remember getting that wasn't a donated gift. And um, I gave it to her. And as I was talking to God about that, one day he said, I just felt like he said, didn't I give that back to you? You're on the radio all over the world. And, you know, in Isaiah 61, he tells us that he rebuilds the ancient ruins of our lives, that, um, you know, he, he brings beauty from the ashes. 
And so no matter what you've lost today, God is able, He's willing, He loves you, and He's come to make you whole. So I like to, Georgine, bring women to the healing waters of Jesus Christ. Um, He's the greatest healer. He's the greatest lover of man's soul. And he um, loves to journey with his people. We're just about out of time, but I want to ask you for uh, women who read the book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. What what can they expect? Second uh, class citizenship in the kingdom of God? where you continue to bear the weight of a decision that was made that ended the life of a child, or is there complete freedom and joy that can be experienced because God forgives every sin, regardless of what it is and, uh, and who has committed it? What might a woman expect when she is liberated from that burden? She can expect to walk in that freedom, that those chains that has kept her bound, the, the lies that she would um, never be free, that she could never be forgiven. You know, you have to believe what God says about you. Yes. And he said, I have come to set the captive free. And today um, I would declare and decree over every woman that would read this book and that would be um, willing to believe the word of the Lord over their life, that they can and they will be set free. Once again, the title of the book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. Um, Angel Murchison, thank you so much for the book, for sharing your story, and for encouraging women um, to resolve the issue before God and experience the freedom that you write about, uh, that you speak about, and um, just being willing to, to share your story. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. By the way, where can our listeners find your book? Um, They can find it at most um, bookstores, um, Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes & Noble. Um, So it won't be difficult. I have a personal website as well. It's www.goodmorningbeautifulpeople.net. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. News and traffic up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, tonight is the night the president will deliver the State of the Union address, followed by the response from the Republicans and maybe another uh, speech or two. But in preparation for the president's 2023 State of the Union address, his second of his presidency, security fences have been erected around the perimeter of the U.S. Capitol building. It's a practice that's become commonplace since January 6th of 21. Well, on Sunday, February 5th, at the request of the Secret Service, security fences were erected around the perimeter of the Capitol, the People's House. Well, acting um, House Sergeant-at-Arms William McFarland told C-SPAN reporter that the fencing was removed on Wednesday, February 8th, the day after the president's speech. Since the January 6th, 2021 riot, security fencing has been constructed around the Capitol on numerous occasions. In addition to fencing for the last State of the Union, 700 National Guard members were activated and brought uh, into D.C. for the uh, speech to provide security for the address, as well as potential incoming truck convoy protesters, you recall them from a year ago, that were expected at the time. No National Guard members have been activated for this year's State of the Union address. In addition to the fencing, though, Capitol Police announced on February 4th that numerous road closures will take place around the Capitol to ensure everyone's safety. President Biden will be the uh, 
giving his second State of the Union address to a joint session of Congress this evening, 6 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. President Biden is set to deliver his address tonight uh, in which he's expected to explain his strategy to reassert America's leadership around the world. A White House official says as the administration grapples with the fallout from the Chinese surveillance balloon that transited across the uh, continental United States for nearly a week. Well, since last year's address, his administration has been faced with a growing migrant surge at the southern border. Gasoline prices hit an all-time record. Inflation reached a 40-year high. Continuing supply chain issues led to a nationwide shortage of baby formula. And Russia's invasion of Ukraine has escalated with no end in sight. The president's 2023 address also comes as he's under a special counsel investigation for his improper retention of classified records from his time as vice president under the Obama administration. And it's just weeks after the FBI searched his home for additional documents with classification markings. Perhaps most notably, the president's State of the Union address also comes just days after an Air Force F-22 fighter jet shot the Chinese spy balloon down off the coast of South Carolina. Well, senior U.S. defense officials said that the spy balloon was launched from China on the 21st of January, crossed into Alaska on the 28th of January. It entered the continental United States through northern Idaho on the 31st and was spotted across several states, including near a handful of military bases before it was finally shot down on Saturday. And a senior administration official said that another Chinese spy balloon crashed near Hawaii just four months ago. Now, this is the first that most of the American people have heard about it. And their question is whether or not the president and his team uh, were made aware at the time. We're now being told that similar actions took place under the previous administration, but they were never informed, nor was the uh, uh, national security apparatus around the administration. Well, during his address tonight at six o'clock p.m., Pacific time. The White House official said that the president plans to outline the progress made on maintaining international alliance with uh, defending Ukraine, competing with China and asserting American leadership in the world. Those will be his themes. But when asked whether the president would focus specifically on the threat China poses to U.S. national security and on the Chinese spy balloon, the official said the president's remarks, of course, will always take into account what's happening in the world and how we meet the moment we're in. So not sure If he'll spend much time on it, you will hear the president speak to his continued and successful effort to reassert America's leadership around the world. The official repeated. Well, the White House official said the president plans in his speech to underscore the significant progress made under his administration during one of the most challenging periods in our history, as well as the progress the American people want us to make by working together in the year ahead. End quote. Well, the president is expected to outline how he has carried out his vision for an economy that grows from the bottom up and middle out instead of from the top down. The official said, adding that he'll focus on progress made through historic job growth, falling inflation, higher wages and record investments coming back to America. He will uh, highlight and I'm quoting, he will highlight the progress we have already made and will uh, keep fighting to make on these and other community uh, priorities, illustrating in real terms how transformational his uh, pieces of legislation are for Americans across this country. But inflation has remained a key concern for Americans since the president's last State of the Union. In June, months after the address, inflation surged to 9.1 percent year over year, the fastest uptick of its kind since 1981. Rising consumer prices have impacted nearly every aspect of American lives, from energy and food to shelter 
apparel, everyday goods. Inflation has fallen to below 6 percent and remains far higher than government targets. And the Federal Reserve is continuing to tighten uh, interest rates, which could have negative uh, reverberations throughout the U.S. economy. Energy prices like heating and gasoline costs have particularly put more strain on American families. Pump prices increased past $5 per gallon in mid-June, hitting uh, their highest level ever recorded before falling again. But they currently remain at 46 percent higher than when Biden took office. Well, part of the pressure on energy costs has come as a result of Russia's February invasion of Ukraine, another crisis of which the president has been facing. Uh, the president has repeatedly stood alongside other Western nations supporting Ukraine, sending the war-torn country tens of billions of dollars in military aid over the past 12 months. White House National Economic Council Director Brian Deese said the president will lay out a very clear and detailed plan to reduce the deficit and will look to uh, look for rather every opportunity when it comes to the economy and economic policy to reach out and work with Uh, Democrats and Republicans to find practical path forward. The president's last week met with um, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy for the first time since he took office, since uh, McCarthy took the gavel, I should say. And the Republican House Speaker said he was uh, he saw an opportunity to come to an agreement on the debt ceiling. The president's speech also comes with worsening crisis at the U.S. southern border. New uh, sources say that 300,000 illegal immigrants are known to have slipped past The overwhelmed Border Patrol agents since the beginning of the fiscal year 2023, which began in October. And while the president's approval rating has increased from 40.6 percent to 43.9 percent since his last State of the Union, his approval dropped 36.8 percent, its lowest level in July of last year, according to an average of pool data from Real Clear Politics. So it will be a consequential speech for the president, his political future, and his uh, next year governing with Republicans now in the majority in the House. Well, in the State of the Union, Americans are demanding answers from the president on their top concerns. Inflation and the war in Ukraine, they're the top issues Americans say that they would uh, like to hear the president address during his State of the Union. Biden will deliver that uh, um, State of the Union address with a lower uh, approval rating. um, 81% of Americans see the U.S. as a dysfunctional family that's breaking apart. That's up 10% from two years ago, according to a Fox News poll. Meanwhile, ahead of the State of the Union, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said many, many weeks have gone into preparing the president's remarks. So you should have high expectations. This is something that the president truly sees as a moment to speak to the American people in a uh, effort to state the obvious. Nobody in politics pays my bills, says uh, Mike of Florida. Uh, he probably won't tune in. I get up and I work every day and no politician is going to help me out with that. I really don't have a whole lot of faith in any of them. Republican, Democrat, independent. One expression of indifference, perhaps, or frustration by one American who will not be tuning into the State of the Union. Six o'clock p.m. Pacific time, the president will speak. I do think it's important to, if not to hear the speech live, to at least read through some of the remarks afterward to see the direction the president intends to go and to get some sense, some gauge of where the nation is headed.
In any event, we'll talk about it tomorrow. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. When we come back, we'll talk about Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She's going to offer the Republican response to the president's speech. That and more when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. Sarah Huckabee Sanders is going to be speaking ahead of, um, I should say, uh, at the following the State of the Union address, offering a response. Well, there you have it. Well, the former White House press secretary, Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders, will deliver the Republican response to the Democrat President Joe Biden's State of the Union address on Tuesday night. It would be nice if there was a unified message and there was no need to respond, but that's how things are done these days. She is a servant leader of true determination and conviction. That's a quote from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy of Sanders in announcing the selection on Thursday. I'm thrilled Sarah will share her extraordinary story and bold vision for a better America on Tuesday. Everyone, including President Biden, should listen carefully. Meanwhile, Democrats chose Representative Delia Ramirez, a first term Democrat from Illinois, to rebut Sanders. So there will be the State of the Union, the Republican response, and then the Democrat rebuttal of the Republican response of the State of the Union. Who is Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Well, she was elected as the first female governor of Arkansas. Uh, This November, she took office on the 10th of last month. She's currently the youngest governor in the country at 40. Sanders served as President Donald Trump's White House press secretary for nearly two years. From 2017 to early 2019, she published a memoir, Speaking for Myself, in 2020. She's the mother of three children. She graduated from a Baptist university in Arkansas, where she studied political science and mass communications. She and her father, Mike Huckabee, are the first father-daughter duo Uh, To win the same governorship, Uh, Huckabee served as Arkansas governor from 96 to 2007, and she will be offering the uh, response. She ran for president, or I should say he ran for president in 2008 and 2016. Uh, Sanders served as her father's campaign manager in one of those campaigns with a um, background as a Baptist pastor. Huckabee hoped to win the evangelical vote, but dropped out in the race after a week showing in Iowa. What's she done as Arkansas governor? Well, she's been there for just a matter of weeks, but since taking office, she signed 15 executive orders, including directives, freezing government hiring, reducing government rules and regulations, limiting government overreach and bureaucracy, improving the integrity of the unemployment insurance program, lifting COVID-19 restrictions and improving education. Executive Order 5 prohibits the teaching of uh, CRT as indoctrination opposed to traditional American values. It emphasizes skin color as a person's primary characteristic, thereby resurrecting segregationist values, which America has fought so hard to reject, she wrote. Uh, How was her stint as uh, Trump's press secretary? Well, she was the third woman and first mother to hold the position of White House press secretary. Before stepping down in 2019, she... Uh, Shorten the daily press briefings, which traditionally ran for about an hour to about 20 minutes before reducing them to once a month or less. Um, Is a return to the White House in her future? Well, pundits have already begun speculating on her political future, but she insists her focus is on the uh, uh, 2022 Arkansas General Assembly legislative session, not 2024. So. Uh, There you have it. She will be giving the Republican response to be followed by the Democrat rebuttal of the Republican response to the president's State of the Union. I'll be in bed by then. Well, Catholic pro-life activist and former Biden Department of Justice uh, target Mark Houck 
will attend the State of the Union as Pennsylvania Republican Representative Scott Perry's guest on Tuesday night. Houck shared with the uh, Daily Signal on Monday that he and his family are um, innocent victims of the radical, reprehensible abuse of power, which systematically seeks to destroy the lives of hardworking Americans whose only crimes are using their God-given constitutional rights to protect their families, faith and the way of life, Perry said. Uh, The president has weaponized the power of the federal government against anyone who thwarts his agenda. The congressman continued. He should uh, see the faces of some of those Americans who have been relentlessly and unjustifiably persecuted by the same government sworn to protect their freedom. Well, Houck's family awoke on Friday, September 23rd, the FBI agents banging on the door, guns drawn to arrest him. He has since been exonerated and charges were dropped. Well, the devastating disaster, the earthquake deaths have surpassed 5,000 in Turkey and Syria and rising as rescuers race against the clock to find more survivors. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was blasted on Monday after she tried to explain the uh, revelation that there has been three Chinese spy balloons during the Trump administration, but they were never informed During the White House press briefing, a reporter asked her how it's possible that this administration discovered at least three previous balloons that flew over the U.S. under the previous administration, but that the officials of that administration were never told. They didn't know. Well, Jean-Pierre offered an unclear response. Is Kim Jong-un gone? Well, North Korea's dictator is once again missing ahead of a mass military parade. But don't be surprised if he suddenly appears. Demanding answers, former Secretary of State, former CIA Director Mike Pompeo called out the deeply dangerous accusations of the um, uh, that the Trump Pentagon didn't notify the White House of Chinese spy crafts after the administration reportedly said they would like to brief former Trump officials of three alleged prior Chinese uh, spy craft flyovers in North Korea. Pompeo confirmed that he had never heard of such operations while he was in office and demanded answers. He was not alone. There were others who said the same. President Biden is refusing to take the blame for inflation as his economic poll numbers crater. We'll see how he responds to it in his State of the Union in less than an hour. Evidence of a a, a deliberate decision. A study reveals ABC, CBS and NBC continue to skip unflattering Hunter Biden news. And compromised by evil, the CBS tweet about being ready to worship satanic Sam Smith is raising eyebrows all across the country. On the State of the Union expectations, Newt Gingrich says the president must make amends for his woke response to the Chinese spy threat. We'll see whether or not it makes it to the speech at all. In a red state rush, Republican states see a 2022 migration boom as Americans flee high taxes. The president is preparing for his uh, State of the Union address while um, his numbers are down. Uh, I won't even go into that. A former top Twitter employee will testify before the House Oversight Committee regarding the suppression of tweets. Three former Twitter executives who were ousted by Elon Musk upon his purchase of the company are expected to testify a Wednesday morning before the House Oversight Committee. Officials managing the social media platform built blacklists, prevented disfavored tweets from trending and limited the visibility of entire accounts and trending topics without telling users. Lawmakers will question the former chief legal officer, former deputy general counsel and former global head of trust and safety about their decisions to censor information that may have impacted the outcome of the 2020 election. More than 45 percent of Biden's uh, swing state voters said they were unaware of the financial scandal enveloping Biden and his son Hunter, while awareness of the scandal 
would have led 9.4% of those voters to choose another candidate. An expert on gender medicine states four out of five children overcome gender confusion. Finland's leading expert on pediatric gender medicine says four out of five children will grow out of their gender confusion. Uh, The doctor, the chief psychiatrist at Tampere University, Finland's largest pediatric gender clinic, recently had an interview with the country's top newspaper about her reluctance to recommend surgical and chemical sex change services for minors who identify as transgender. One reporter says Finland's leading expert on pediatric gender medicine says that these children will grow out of their gender confusion and it is purposeful disinformation to suggest that minors must medically transition due to increased risk of suicide. Surfing superstar Bethany Hamilton announced she will no longer compete if World Surf League allows trans surfers In other words, men to compete against women on Saturday. The world renowned surfer Bethany Hamilton came out against the World Surf League's new policy that allows biological male athletes who identify as women to compete against females in surf competitions. The guidelines implemented by the World Surf League allow transgender athletes to compete in women's events if they maintain a testosterone level of less than five nanomoles per liter continuously for the previous 12 months before an event. In an Instagram video, Hamilton came out against the change and pointed out that men who claim to be transgender are dominating other women's sports. Surfing champion Bethany Hamilton has just announced she will not compete, and she's already an absolute legend, but this stand makes her even more of a legend in the eyes of some, so says Robbie Starbuck. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Texas plan to, plans rather to ban TikTok from government devices, and Dell is planning layoffs of about 6,600 employees. Britain's government-run health service sees the largest strike in history, and Florida filed a bill targeting Disney's self-governance. Walt Disney Company's domain over its Magic Kingdom in Florida may be coming to an end. Republicans there in the House of Representatives on Monday filed a bill that would dramatically alter the governance and even change the name of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, a special tax district near Orlando that was allowing uh, Disney to self-govern the land that houses its Walt Disney World Resort for more than 50 years. The move is the culmination of GOP efforts floated last year to rein in Disney's special tax status, though it's uh, stopped short of eliminating it outright. The bill would rename Reedy Creek as the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District and give Governor Ron DeSantis the authority to appoint members of its governing body and five-member board of supervisors. Additionally, the bill would ensure Disney is held responsible for paying more than $700 million in unsecured debts and make sure that doesn't fall on Florida taxpayers. Well, a shocking number of millennials still rely on their parents to pay their bills. More than three in 10 or 35 percent admit that they will uh, they still have at least one bill on their parents tab. According to the new poll of 2000 Americans, not a very large sampling. The top three expenses still paid by parents are rent, 19 percent, groceries at 19 percent and utilities at 16 percent. In fact, almost one quarter, 24 percent of millennials polled, say their parents uh, cover their rent. About three quarters of those respondents or 72 percent plan to take on those bills themselves within the next 
two years. But 30 percent admit they will be riding the wave until they're told otherwise. So mom and dad, you might want to think that through. Another 31 percent are trying to save money, saying it's cheaper to stay in their parents' plan. Uh, polls also found that 63 percent of millennials and Gen X, Gen Z have experienced feelings of burnout. In addition, many reported not knowing how to accomplish certain tasks that were once expected of adults. Some of the reported tasks were conducting an oil change, changing a tire, tying a tie, jumpstarting a car and sewing a hole. In an increase, uh, increasingly digital and specialized world, many of these essential tasks have become well, not as necessary to know. Miami unveiled a uh, black-themed cop cruiser for Black History Month. The Miami Police Department's effort to celebrate the History Month has been met with mockery and derision from the black community. Miami PD sought to commemorate the month with a cruiser decorated in a college of, uh, rather a collage of black uh, cultural symbols, such as black power symbol alongside the African flag and a slogan that reads, Miami Police Support Black History Month, but it was misunderstood. Well, Democrats are souring on Vice President Kamala Harris. The long knives are out for the vice president, as even some of her biggest supporters have um, have given up hope of her being able to step to step up to the challenge and be the next leader for the Democrats. With national polling continuing to show the vice president with a low favorability rate at 39 percent, Democrats are ready to throw in the towel. Prominent Democrat fundraiser John Morgan observed that Harris is actually a problem for Joe Biden seeking reelection. It doesn't take a genius to say, look, with his age, we have to really think about this. He pointedly added, I can think of one thing she's done except uh, I can't think of one thing she's done except stay out of the way and stand beside him at certain ceremonies. Ouch. The New York Times noted after her disastrous interview with Lester Holt on NBC News in June of 21, in which she struggled to articulate the administration's strategy for securing the border. She uh, all but went into a bunker for about a year, avoiding any interviews um, uh, out of fear of making a mistake or disappointing the president. No surprises. President Biden says he deserves no blame over the mishandling of the classified documents. New York City and illegal aliens are have quit on each other. The city is now sending them to the Canadian border. A leaked Pfizer document shows an embattled employee from a Project Veritas video is still employed and warns against more anti-science stings, as they call them. Disney cut a Simpson episode that mentions forced labor camps from its Chinese platform, you don't want to uh, offend the communists there. Country music singer John Rich tweeted, The Grammys look like a like hell last night. If God doesn't bring judgment on America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Rich and other public figures slammed the demonic performance at the Grammys. Trans Lives Matter occupied the, the Oklahoma Capitol to protest a bill criminalizing the mutilation of minors. Team USA skeeter, skiers rather will wear climate change-themed race suits at the World Championships. Well, on this day in history, 1795, the 11th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution dealing with states' sovereign immunity is ratified. 1819, Charles Dixon, uh, Dickens is born in Landport, Portsmouth, uh, England. 1817, America's first public gas street lamp is lighted in Baltimore at the corner of Market and Lemon Streets, now East Baltimore and Holiday Streets. 
1904, the fire begins in Baltimore that rages for about 30 hours and destroys more than 1,500 buildings. 1948, General Dwight D. Eisenhower resigns as U.S. Army Chief of Staff. He is succeeded by General Omar Bradley. 1962, on this day in history, President John F. Kennedy imposes a full trade embargo on Cuba. 1964, the Beatles arrive at New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport to begin their first American tour. 1984, Space Shuttle Challenger astronauts Bruce McCandless and Robert Stewart go on the first untethered spacewalk, which lasts nearly six hours. 1986, the Philippines hold a presidential election marred by charges of fraud against the incumbent, Ferdinand Marcos. 1986, Haitian President for Life Jean-Claude Duvalier, he flees his country, ending 28 years of his family's rule. On this day in history, 1999, Jordan's King Hussein dies of cancer at the age of 63. He is succeeded by his eldest son, Abdullah. In 2009, a mile-wide, miles-wide section of ice in Lake Erie breaks away from the Ohio shoreline, trapping about 135 fishermen, some for as long as four hours before they could be rescued. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, biotech billionaire Dr. Patrick Soon Shiong uh, strikes a $500 million deal to buy the Los Angeles Times, the San Diego Union Tribune, and some other publications. Senator John Kennedy, the Republican out of Louisiana, asked four Biden judicial nominees a series of questions on the Constitution and constitutional interpretation during a Senate Judiciary Committee confirmation hearing on Wednesday, the 25th of January. Well, President Biden's nominee for the federal judgeship in Washington state is facing intense scrutiny for what critics call an insufficient resume after already triggering backlash over her nomination when she recently failed to answer simple questions about the Constitution. Judge Charnel, uh, let's see if I can get this right, Bajel Kangren of uh, Spokane County Superior Court made headlines last month during her confirmation hearing to serve on the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Washington. And my apologies for mispronouncing the last name. Appearing before the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, she was quizzed about basic knowledge of the Constitution. Tell me what Article 5 of the Constitution does, says Senator John Kennedy. Article 5 is not coming to mind at the moment. She responded, how about Article 2? Kennedy pressed, neither is Article 2. Well, Kennedy then asked uh, the candidate, a graduate of uh, Gonzaga University School of Law, to define purpose, purpose vision and approach to interpreting statutory law. Similarly, she had no answer. In my 12 years as an assistant attorney general, in my nine years as a judge, I was not faced with the precise questions, she said. We are the highest trial court in Washington state, so I'm frequently faced with issues that I'm not um, uh, versed with, not familiar with, and I thoroughly review the law. I research and apply the law to the facts presented to me. Well, the embarrassing scene quickly went viral. A similar incident occurred in 2017 when Matthew Peterson, a lawyer nominated by the president, President Trump at the time, to serve as a federal judge, couldn't answer basic legal questions. Uh, Peterson subsequently withdrew his nomination from consideration. Not at all clear whether or not that will be the case here. Uh, Biden's nominee um, is still uh, in the running, but may face further scrutiny, potentially putting her nomination in jeopardy beyond her legal knowledge at issue. Uh, her experience has also been called into question. 
We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about what's happening in Turkey and Syria as Christians have rallied to provide earthquake relief there and a miracle that's happened among the the ruins. We'll also talk about the Ukrainian churches and religious sites that have been damaged in the conflict with Russia. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, we learned that earthquake survivors are waiting for news of their loved ones believed to be trapped under collapsed buildings in Turkey. Local Christians were among the very first responders to the massive earthquake in Turkey and Syria that left more than 5,000 people dead and more than 20,000 injured. They just don't know, well, how to make sense of it. God, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy. That's a quote from the founder of the Evangelical Miras Publishing Ministry in Istanbul. This is our only spiritual reflection right now. His first instinct was to go, but as reports came in of deep snowfall and damaged roads, he shifted gears. He and his wife stayed up all night making phone calls to believers uh, close by, trying to coordinate aid and with members of his church and Protestant congregations throughout Turkey. They bought blankets, medicines, baby formula, diapers to send onward to the afflicted areas. From this side of eternity, nothing is clear, he says, but our sweet Lord is suffering with us. Well, he warned of... uh, Scams preying on the uh, uh, the victims um, and the outpouring of generosity from around the world, even among the small Turkish evangelical community of roughly 10,000 believers. Their own suppliers uh, are being donated um, uh, in English. Uh, First Hope Association, a Turkish Protestant NGO working closely with the local Red Crescent and AFAD, Turkey's Disaster and Emergency Management Authority, Officials said more than 5,000 buildings have been destroyed by the 7.8 magnitude quake. More than 13,000 search and rescue personnel have been deployed, supplying 41,000 tents, 100,000 beds, 300,000 blankets. Almost 8,000 people have been rescued so far. Well, this includes um, Pastor Mehmet and his wife, Deniz, a longtime friends of um, the pastor I mentioned a moment ago, who spent half the day freezing under the rubble until neighbors succeeded in pulling them out. It's hard to even imagine what that must have been like. But Christians have rallied to support those who are suffering, not just fellow believers, but anyone suffering in this area. One uh, bright light in all of this, a live newborn was pulled from Syria quake rubble as voice notes sent from wreckage and 20,000 are feared dead in the uh, Uh, In that area, the newborn was rescued after her tragic mother died in childbirth under the rubble of a collapsed building in Syria in a rare, miraculous moment uh, in this earthquake hell, as some who are there have described it. Three Brits are among the 20,000 feared dead after the catastrophic quake rocked Turkey and Syria. A harrowing uh, voice notes from the rubble begging for help have emerged. Well, the little child, the newborn, took her first breath after being rescued by a man in Syria. She was born under the rubble before being rescued by brave locals. The baby was pulled to safety after a courageous mother delivered that little girl under the weight of the wreckage building. The pregnant woman is believed to have been trapped under the debris for over a day in the northeastern town of Jindiriz. She reportedly died shortly after giving birth to the child, surrounded by the devastation of Turkey and Syria's terrifying earthquake. As survivors cling to life underneath the rubble, uh, they are sending voice notes to the outside pleading for help. One Turkish journalist told the BBC that they were 
uh, sending him and other journalists videos, voice notes, and their live locations. People are still under the buildings. They need help. But tragically, he added, we can't do anything, as he called for the outside world for help. The woman who gave birth is among the many thousands feared to have died, including, as I mentioned, three Brits. Foreign Secretary James cleverly announced the uh, concerning news on the trio in the Commons in the U.K., while revealing that 35 U.K. nationals uh, were receiving aid and being uh, directly impacted by those events. Up to 20,000 feared dead across Turkey and Syria after the huge 7.8 magnitude earthquake. A series of disastrous aftershocks have hampered rescue efforts after the collapse of more than 5,000 buildings. At least uh, trapped victims have reportedly been sending uh, voice notes, as they refer to them, begging for help from beneath the rubble. A grieving father was seen holding the lifeless um, hand of his daughter, whose body was still trapped in a destroyed building. Um, One footballer uh, was miraculously pulled from the rubble of a building in the same city. Uh, Aid and rescuers are pouring in from all across the world, including from the U.K., the U.S., and war-torn Ukraine as well. Uh, And they've launched earthquake appeal to raise money to help respond to the destruction. The comforter wasn't... um, um, Identified, but the Holy Spirit was at work, said some believers who are in the area ministering to people uh, in desperate need. In other news, the Russian military has disproportionately attacked evangelical Christians and destroyed, damaged or looted at least 494 religious buildings, theological institutions and sacred sites in Ukraine since invading the neighboring nation almost a year ago. That's according to the Kiev based Institute for Religious Freedom. The Independent Research Institute presented its um, latest report this week during the third International Religious Freedom Summit in Washington. The IRF aims to catalog evidence of the war crimes against Ukrainian religious communities. The destruction of religious sites is often intentional and happening in tandem with attacks on civilian believers and pastors, according to the executive director of the organization. Russian soldiers have repeatedly threatened to destroy evangelical Christians in Ukraine, calling them American spies, sectarians and enemies of the Russian Orthodox people, says the rector of the uh, Kirsten based Christian Institute, one of the scores of damaged sites belonging to evangelical groups. Russian forces seized the seminaries buildings. Uh, as headquarters, looted it and then left it destroyed. One Russian officer told the employees of the Institute that evangelical believers like you should be completely destroyed. A simple shooting will be too easy for you. You need to be buried alive. In a translated video played during the panel, he elaborated during a telephone conversation. One of our employees was told we will bury Baptist sectarians like you, end quote. Well, the organization's report found that the scale of destruction of evangelical church and prayer houses is immense. It tallied at least 170 damaged evangelical sites, including 75 Pentecostal churches, 49 Baptist churches, 24 Seventh-day Adventist churches, and 22 other evangelical churches, uh, uh, comprising a full third of the total, even though evangelicals comprise less than 5% of Ukraine's population. Among Orthodox Christians who comprise about 80 percent, at least 143 damaged buildings belong to the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, long affiliated with the Moscow uh, Russian Orthodox Church, while 34 belong to the newer and smaller Independent Orthodox Church of Ukraine. The UOC, uh, their own tally numbers, 300 churches damaged by uh, shelling, including 75 destroyed. 
So the church apparently being targeted in those areas. Please continue to pray for uh, the people of Turkey, Syria, and certainly the church in Ukraine. Well, we're just about out of time. I do want to remind you that tonight the president will deliver his State of the Union address. There's lots of speculation about what he will say and what he won't say. Um, Sarah Huckabee uh, will be the Sanders will be the rebuttal on the part of the Republicans. So she will respond to the president's speech, although that speech is usually written and prepared and maybe even recorded before the State of the Union address is heard. Nonetheless, both speeches Uh, Tonight, one immediately following the other, the president speaking at six o'clock our time and the rebuttal following immediately after. I want to thank James Blend for producing Sam Maupin for engineering and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.